The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad, alongside Bob Bradley's second favorite left back behind Jonathan Bornstein, Hollywood Heath Pierce. And do we have another cracking affair of a show today? As we're joined by guest former U.S. women's national team midfielder Lori Lindsay, who also just happens to be part of our CBS Sports family. And she's doing great analyst work around the NWSL with the Attacking Third podcast, among many things that she does. And we're going to have UCLA law professor Stephen Bank, who's a frequent commentator on soccer law issues in this country. That's the second half of the show. And they're both coming up on to discuss the huge news of equal pay that has been achieved by the U.S. women's national team in conjunction with the U.S. men's national team and U.S. soccer. All three, Heath Pierce, are finally rowing a boat in the same direction, baby. Oh, yeah. We got some equality. We got some <laughs> fairness. And I'm here for it. I think it's fantastic news. Hey, hey your intros are getting good, Jimmy. I Thank might you. have to start muting myself just because I'm, <laughs> I'm breaking into your, 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 your monologues here. But yeah, an exciting time. I think for me, especially um, as somebody who's super into the, 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 the soccer space, the word equality, like, like anything, has been uh, sort of bastardized so much that it's made it really hard to understand. And, and now I think really setting this precedent uh, for, for, a, for a better understanding and, and how we're compared to the rest of the world and really being uh, the thought leaders, I think, in the soccer space for the growth of the global game, I think is really important. And I'm excited to have Lori on and, and, and Professor Bank to talk more in detail about what this means, what it actually means so that we can have some clarifications of it because it's a really, really exciting time and a, and a monumental, uh, hopefully, shift uh, in the sport, not just for, for, for U.S. soccer, but, but as the trendsetters for the global game. No, it's it's huge, huge news, and um, I'm excited to get more into the details with Lori and Professor Bank, but just to give everybody kind of an overall, this is the first time the women's team, which has won the last two Women's World Cups and four overall, will be paid at the same rate for game appearances and tournament victories as the men's team, which has historically and persistently failed to even sniff that kind of success. I had to put that out there. In addition to those uh, per-game payments, which are going to be higher, the new contracts also include an unprecedented redistribution of the millions of dollars in World Cup prize money the men's and women's teams can earn by playing in the tournament every four years. They also contain a new revenue sharing agreement that could see the players receive millions more from their cut of U.S. soccer's commercial revenues each year, which is a big deal as well. I'm getting a lot of that insight from Andrew Das from the New York Times, who wrote a great article about this whole situation really answers a lot of questions. But without further ado, it is time, everybody. The pride of Pike High School in Indianapolis, Indiana. 
played for the University of Virginia, played for the U.S. Women's National Team for eight years. She's been in the trenches. She's played in pretty much any acronym of professional leagues that have existed in this country. We got the W League. We got WUSA. We got the NWSL. It is Lauren Lindsay. What's up, Lauren? Great to see you. How are you doing? Oh, my goodness. Listen, I need to come on the show every week because there's <laughs> a confidence uh, uh, boost just to get that type of intro. So, no, I'm doing great. Thanks for having okay. me on. It's no, it, it's it's an honor to speak to you, especially in this historic moment of equal pay. It has been discussed and talked about. Uh, it's been fought in the in the in the real courts. It's been fought in the court of public opinion, and now we have equality. What what are your initial thoughts when this finally happens? Do, I mean, did you ever think you were gonna we were gonna see this type of day? Uh, ultimately I did because I think I'm a pathological optimist. So, um, (laughs) shame on you. (laughs) My goodness. Has it been a long time coming to think about like the six years since this is in making with the current team. Right. But like, really it's been a long time fight, um, for women's soccer, women's sport, um, for decades. So, um, yes, I was hoping, um, it felt like it was expedited a little bit after the settlement, um, back in February with the women's team. So, um, but I mean, I don't know if we can cuss on this, but I was like, go for it. Fuck yes. I mean, like, this is awesome, right? so, I love it. And as uh, Hollywood Heath Pierce says, like, so this is massive. It's great. Yeah. I do have to say we can't monetize this video anymore because you did curse on it. So uh, unfortunately, uh, that's going to have to come out of out of out of your pay. But no, we appreciate you coming on. You know, uh, I and I said it also in the intro that the word uh, equality across the board has been politicized and then just torn apart and pulled apart. And everybody around the world, we've we've been looking to whether it's some of the Scandinavian countries that talk about equality, but there's a lot of small details that are not accurate uh, in, in using that word. Is this the closest thing that you've seen uh, just globally to, to equality for, for men and women in the sport? Oh, yes, certainly. I think mainly, though, because both teams, right, and both legal parties um, and representation came together. Right. I mean, that's to me is like kind of what I keep saying when I've been asked this question is we don't live in silos, right? Or like, um, and so like, but we were, op- we have operated in that way, right? We haven't come to the table together. Um, whether for several reasons or not, but for the first time that was the case. So yeah, I mean, you're actually having both parties talk about what benefits um, they want, what makes the most sense for each. And, you know, as you mentioned, like we have seen some semblance of this elsewhere, but not where both teams are sitting down for a substantial amount of time being like, nope, this, yes, this or not. Right. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I would absolutely say so. So Lori, this feels like a situation where, it seems like everybody wins because the women are going to see increases in their compensation uh, because of uh, the, the, the pool of money that's available, especially in performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, the men are also probably going to see more money and probably avoid the stigma that's attached to to not fighting for equal pay for our women who, who definitely deserve it. Um, I feel like from U.S. soccer, they can now get out of the way, you know, and, and probably paying lawyers, you know, any other obstacles that could have been going on. And, and obviously in the court of public opinion, I saw Michelle Obama tweeting about how excited she was that there was equal pay. So I'm sure U.S. soccer is like, come on, Michelle Obama, you know, and, and uh, now they can, and, and rightfully so, they wilted under that pressure because they should have, this should have been done a long time ago. It's really historic and groundbreaking in so many different ways. But I think, I think that what's most important is that almost from a sponsorship standpoint, 
You can now say, hey, listen, we're we like like Hollywood Heath said, we're, we're trendsetters. Let's look at what we've done. No other federation in the world is doing it like this, exactly like this. And now you can buy into us collectively. It's not us against them anymore. It's us, it's all of us together, which really speaks to the inclusivity of the sport. You say one nation, one team is your tagline, but it wasn't like that for many years. But now we can actually say that. And and from a, from a sponsorship marketing brand, which is where you're going to probably get your money to pay everybody, or at least parts of it, this is this is a big deal. So so for them to kind of not just talk the talk, but walk the walk is is really important moment. Yeah, and I have a couple of thoughts on that too. It's like, you know, just regards to both of our teams, the U.S. Women's National Team and the Men's National Team, it's we've all supported one another. But it's like, how do you do that on like a deeper level, right? And I think that that was the part of the issue is like we didn't, no one knew how to do that. Like we didn't know how to necessarily ask for help. And then for the men's team, it was like, okay, well, how can we even affect change as well? And it's not that we didn't want it. It was just like for, I'm sure, many different reasons, right, at the time. Um, it just couldn't, it didn't take place. So um, I think it's, Huge credit to Cindy Cohen and the staff and um, at U.S. Soccer to to push to get this done because I know Cindy was behind that a lot. Like we have want to like make change, right? We need to start moving forward in a positive way. And then in terms of the trendsetter aspect, do you want to go? You want to say something real quick? Well, I do want to just jump in and say that how important do you think it was that Cindy Cohn was a former women's national team player in getting this to where it got to today? Because I feel like we've 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 notoriously had men in that power position for a long time. We finally get a woman there and stuff gets done. Coincidence? I think not. I think not. Yeah, massive not, right? And like, because, you know, we know from how we have been like, listen, it's it's complex in the fact that like we have um, been the highest paid federation globally, right? Like we know that, but that also we have used, we know, understand our platform. That was going to be my second aspect of this is that we know what our platform is and a lot of other nations look to us to lead the way. Right. And so this is, I think teaming up and uh, having this equal pay is, is massive, not just on the men's or women's side, but on the men's side as well. But yes, to your point about Cindy Cohn, she knows what the fight has been like, right? Mm -hmm. There's been many times, and this isn't calling out any particular um, president or or anybody that's like been heavily involved in U S soccer, but like, listen, we were told to like, be grateful for what you have. Stop talking. Right. Like, and so like Cindy would know that firsthand. So to come in, um, take over the presidency, um, back in, um, 2020 and then get to this point, I think is massive credit to her, but also just her global and just plethora of understanding of where this game has been on the women's side and where we can go. Right. So well, I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the non, I guess they're involved with monetary, but so much of this has been about, you know, world champions and a, a, a men's team that has not been anywhere close to that, you know, money versus money and all these things that make people sort of polarized, not knowing where they fit into the conversation or what's truthful, what's exaggerated and where they go. But as I was doing some of the the, the research on on just the new collective bargaining agreement, there was a lot of details about uh, kind of quality of accommodation, quality of pitch. Uh, quality of of travel, and uh, I, I realize that so much more of this is is beyond just the exchanging of of monetary value, you know, for for yourself. And and J- and Jimmy and I went through this when we were both at Chivas, where you know we were sent down to the like the water runoff field was the only field we had access to, which is like the floodplain of all of the fields would run down into this one, and you felt like, oh wow, look at all these facilities that aren't ours, and and you experience that when you go through different clubs of like you're you're, you're very aware of of your environment, how. I guess for people that don't know, 
How different has it been in the past for the women's national team in terms of travel, in terms of pitches, in terms of conditions that that, that make that such an important part of this CBA as well? Well, right. I mean, listen, resources is huge, right? Because, like, I mean, when you think about it, it's the quality, it's the protection of players, it's the um, product that you're putting out in the field. And if that's mediocre off of it, then you're going to get performances that aren't great, which is like even more credit to the history of our women's national team for putting out the product that we have um, for so long with limited, in some ways, resources that are like equal, like. Obviously, if we're comparing it to the men right now, right? And by the way, Lori, the, the other thing that I meant to mention on that is 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 it, it was the, the 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 medical care in terms of the staffing of that, and that was something I was completely unaware of. I just thought it was the same staff that went with everybody all the time, and they had these massive, massive teams of highly qualified people. And it seems like maybe that wasn't the case. Yeah, no, it certainly was. I mean, listen, it was definitely. Um, grades below, right? What the men were getting for sure. And that's been a constant fight um, in terms of having um, collective care. And I mean, but the most highlighted one, which I'll use example of is like the 2015 um, World Cup, right? It's played on, it's played on turf in Canada and there was uproar, right? And we understand that FIFA is the one that does that, right? In uh, places that, but then in the victory matches afterwards, U.S. soccer has us playing on a, um, a turf match after that, after the uproar, Megan Rapinoe tears her ACL, right? It's just a constant like of like second thought, right? Not pushing forward. Hey, are you even listening? So outside of resources, it's been more like, are you actually hearing what we're saying? And for the amount of um, eyeballs and um, momentum and just excitement around the team, right? I mean, this, these players are um, legends of the game. Um, and, but you just felt like you were just like speaking into the to the void, right? Like there was nothing that was taking place. So I, again, it just goes back to, I think collectively it is so important that everybody understands what's going on because it, it you know, I said it earlier and I don't think it could be understated is like, you all didn't know, right. You didn't know what, what like it was happening on our side, but now that we all have a, an understanding, we can fight and like collaborate together. And I think the next step with that is, FIFA, because I mean, listen, there needs to be changes there too, right? So if you start to work together, then no doubt are. Are you telling me that you think that the disgrace <laughs> President Sepp Blatter before when he said that the the women should wear smaller shorts? You tell me FIFA <laughs> needs to change? I mean, come on, come on. So one of the question, one of the questions I have for you, Lori, is with regard to how exhausting it is to to shout into the void, and and when you go on social media. And obviously everybody, or I'd say 95% of the people that are arguing this are probably enjoying the benefits of anonymity, but they go to such great lengths, mainly men, to, to create this, this argument that doesn't hold any weight, but it's always, well, the women don't deserve this or, or, you know, they don't get, it's just why, why is there so much vitriol when, when they don't get supported in the same way? And, and it just drives me crazy. And it's like, you go to what fight one fight and then somebody's going to hit you with a different angle. And you're like, all right, I'm going to go fight that one. And then you're like, crap. And then they get, it's just, it's just, it's never anything they don't want to hear. There's no, I mean, maybe this is the sign of the times, but it just feels like it must be incredibly exhausting when you're just trying to fight for some basic stuff. You just want to be treated with respect. And, and now we got that. And yet people are still pissed about it. And I just don't understand what there's to be pissed about. We have the most successful women's national team of all time. We should be bowing down to the great. We should be kissing their hands and their feet, rolling out red carpets wherever they go. They've made the game better in this country, and that deserves our respect. I'm not and kissing I'm, feet. I'll kiss hands. I'm not kissing feet. Okay, whatever. <laughs> but I'm just saying, listen, I, I, 
I can see the power and influence that this national team has had, uh, bo both on the field and off the field. And the fact that they continue to have to fight and scratch and still get that respect from the, from the greater public, especially in this country, is insane. It is to me. called the patriarchy. It's called control. We have something that's called Roe versus Way that's just being knocked down. It's like you know, it's the same thing. It's all the same thing, right? It's control. It's um, uh, women are less than, and it's deep in our society. Honestly, quite frankly, that's exactly what it is. It's just deep in our society, and regardless of whether we've won multiple World Cups, Olympics, it is considered by many less than, right, than the World Cup. Um, so, and case in point to even just calling it a uh, world cup versus the women's world cup. Why not the men's world cup? Right. I mean, we can get into the nuance of all of that, but still it's just deep in our society and whether people higher ups that have been involved in us soccer prior, whether they want to believe it or not, it's in all of us. Right. So you have to com combat that every single day. So yes, it is exhausting. And I think to all of that, it's why it's even more powerful that we all came to the table together. Because I mean, I think the three of us would, and if Chuck was here too, right. We would all agree that we've been supporting one another for a long time, um, but it. Um, but how do you bring that to fruition and, and do something on an even deeper level, right? So, I, I I got a question on 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 just sort of where we're at now. So obviously this deal, historic, goes through 2028, which is a significant amount of time. But how do we know that this isn't just the next thing bef to to sort of pull the wool over our eyes for progress for, for the sport, right? Because there's so much more that needs to happen with, with, with NWSL, with the global game. I mean, for you, for, 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 for me, for Jimmy, uh, for, for any of us, I, I said, I guess what's the sort of next step for us as consumers, as fans to, to help continue to push the game forward. Yeah. Well, I don't think this is a hundred percent. Don't think this is the next step, but I think, I don't think all of us can totally see, um, the way that this can cause can cause globally, right? Like I think we are going to see as the game grows on multiple levels here in the United States, both on the men's and women's side, um, continues to gain even more traction, but um, on the women's side globally, and I think we're going to see a lot more federations start to collaborate. So I think it's going to uh, force a lot of hands in a different way. And then to my point earlier too, about FIFA and um, um, you know, pushing to have more conversations in that regard and what that looks like. Um, and so I don't think this is the next thing and, or just like a one-off type deal, right? Because this benefits everybody. And I think the more, I think the one thing too, that this is allowed besides just collaboration, I think there's been a, it provides a lot more engagement, right? Like in, you know, a lot of people that might be listening to this or not, probably don't understand the different nuances between what it likes, what it's like to play on the women's team versus the men's team as well. Like that's been very different. Like we have operated as a club team in a lot of ways. Now that's going away, right? All the players will sign, the national team players will sign with their individual clubs, which will just, I think, amplify the development and what they yeah, actually doing. just to give people some context. I, I want to yeah. interrupt you there just no, briefly so that people understand that the previous CBA was basically, to your point, paying the women's national team players or what, the top 30 of them, uh, guaranteed salaries every year. So they're almost full-time employees of U.S. soccer in some capacity. Whereas and that was, men, woven into, that was woven into the NWSL yeah, deals. Exactly. Right, right, right. And then the, on the men's, it's always been pay for play. So if you get called in, you get a certain amount. Yeah. If, you, if you draw the game, you get 5K. If you win, you get 8 or 10 or whatever it's changed to now. But, but the, now that's changing. So everybody's gone the pay for play model, correct? Yeah, correct. And I think that's a huge and a very important distinction because naturally that um, also was just like the um, 
you know, fandom or like just the popularity of our women's national team, that also provided like major engagement um, with our players, right? Like I was heavily engaged, but like this goes back to like the 91ers, Mia Hamm, Julie Foudy and the 99 women's team. And even prior to that, right? You can date back to Billie Jean King and players that didn't even, uh, athletes that didn't even play soccer. However, um, I think that's an important distinction just because with the model that you all had, didn't require, and please correct me if I'm wrong, as much engagement though, because you're heavily involved with your club team in a different way. And then as you mentioned, you get played to play. So now this provides more engagement on both sides in a different way because it is a collaboration. You're heavily involved with like how our team does. We're heavily involved in in rooting for you. So I think in in regards, it smooths the federation forward substantially compared to where we were. And it brings more players to the table to be a part of that conversation. Uh, a quick follow up on 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 just the CBA in itself. It, it, we see it every time with with NWSL. Uh, we saw a, a decent amount of it with the with the lawsuit. We saw it with MLS uh, CBAs, where everybody seems to be unified until the deal happens, and then you start to get a few people starting to speak up, going, "Oh yeah, we short sh- we drew the short stick." All these types of things. Is this pretty close to full buy-in from everybody that you've heard, both kind of inside the national teams, outside the national teams? Uh, it, it just seems like there's not a lot to to actually sink your teeth into to be kind of against what this CBA was. Have you heard anything about that? Is there any outliers that that feel like again this wasn't the the, the right way to go about it? Yeah, no, I've heard um, only the positives, right, and the buy-in yeah. and like and where where the game can go. And I think also just like the sponsorship. Like, listen, like I mean, we could take a take it outside. Sport is political. Everything's political, right? So you look at just that as well like that allows for um whoever wants to be engaged in a different way in terms of sponsorship right like i mean it all starts to weave everything together i think um in such a different way than what we've had in the past so i've only heard um complete buy-in people are excited and extremely happy that the deal was done um but yeah, I haven't heard anything to the contrary. Awesome. So, so Lori, last question. We appreciate your time. We know that you're busy. You got some other stuff going on as much as we could speak to you for the next few hours about this. Um, what's next? Because it feels like, okay, mission accomplished, but now this just feels like this is the first domino of some really important dominoes that are going to fall. As you mentioned with FIFA, not to say that you're always looking for a fight. I don't want to put that out there as the perception, but, but there's got to be some new thing to tackle, right? Because now this is, we've had one step of progress. We can't just rest on our laurels. Yeah. Well, contextually, Laurie, by the way, it, 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 I go back to, I spent the month at, at the at the World Cup in France and I go back to that 13-0 win and the polarization of like, how is this good for the growth of the game? And it, it became like, yo, it's great for the women's national team from the US because they're the best and they get everything. And now this is another step of growth for them. And the rest of the world is looking at it, trying to figure out like, how do we, kind of rise with the tide versus be separated even further. Yeah. Well, I think that goes, listen, I, the 13 zero win, and then also I go back to the 2015 world cup when Thailand was wearing the hand-me-down uniforms of the men's national team. I, I, I think that is, uh, it's unfortunate. Don't get me wrong. Like that makes my blood boil. However, it also is like the time of social media, right? Those are when these things can be highlighted and everyone's there to win, right? Everyone's there to compete. Everyone's there to win. It amplifies the game. It, it um, provides conversation um, in context of where teams have been, where they're going. So I think all of that stuff is necessary. We need to have those conversations. We need to have the conversations about um, Phil Neville and his reaction when um, 
I forget, was it Cameroon and their um, excitement or upset about a goal getting scored or a foul, right? And his reaction to like, that is completely unnecessary type. But like, if, if I don't know if you guys remember that, but like, it, it's, um, it's all political, right? There's all these different things. So this just continues with the conversation. And what's next? You know, I don't know in terms of like, um, immediacy, but I know we have an important world cup for the men coming up. Right. And like, um, that should be amplified even more. That's exciting. We have a lot of stuff we have. We're going to be hosting the 2026, um, world cup. We have, I think going to at least try to bid for the 27, if not the 31 for the women. So there's a lot to come that we are going to be tackling. And I think first and foremost, it's to see, um, what takes place off of this momentum, um, with FIFA in general and then other nations and get behind that and support that as well. We love it. Lori Lindsay. <laughs> Lori Lindsay. Lori Lindsay. Lori, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming on. Everybody, make sure you subscribe to the Attacking Third. Follow Lori on all the social media channels. She's an amazing follow. She's so insightful and smart. And also, She's very good at soccer, by the way. And she has more chance, caps than Jimmy. And she has, she more, has caps more caps than me. Jimmy, more caps than me. More caps than me. I get it. Okay. <laughs> Throw that in there. And and she uh, she was really good in college, and I wasn't. Because according to Heath, I was a really, really, really late bloomer. So and <laughs> she's a, we, we don't give credit to the ACC as West Coasters anyway. We just, that's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. They think they're better than everybody else. Lori Lindsay, everybody. Thank you so much, Lori. We appreciate you. Hopefully, you'll be back on very, very soon. Yeah, you're the best. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you, too. Yeah. Thank you. All right. That is Lori. She's awesome, Heath. And I love the insight. She's obviously, as I mentioned before, in the trenches with the U.S. Women's National Team, really seeing the growth and the progress that's been had. And obviously, this has been a culmination of a lot of hard work and a lot of thankless work, not only for the names that we see, the Alex Morgans, the Megan Rapinos, Kristen Presses of the world, Cindy Cohn, who's now the president, Mia Hams, that have really been vocal, Julie Foudy's. But maybe she's she's still out there there's a lot of people behind the scenes that maybe don't have as much visibility as those players, but are still doing a lot of the thankless work to continue to move the ball forward. And, and uh, this is exciting, exciting time. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't want my kids to have social media because they're not old enough yet. And I hope the whole world's going to be, <laughs> it'll be gone by then. Right. But it, it, she would be one of the first, first follows. I would, I would tell them to follow just because of her work across the board, not just in the soccer space, but just pushing for equality and rights uh in, in general and so she's so insightful and just so well knowledge on on everything that it's just you know hopefully illuminates and and creates more more conversation for people to better understand what all of this means and the significance of this new cba yeah we love some Lori Lindsay. another big moment here for the u.s women's national team the men's national team and u.s soccer overall all right everybody we're going to take our first break here on in soccer we trust but when we return we're going to have Professor Stephen Bank, who's a law professor at UCLA, who likes to dabble in the dark arts. I'm just kidding, not the dark arts, but the positive arts of the legal game in, or the, excuse me, the, the legal ramifications of the game in this country. We'll be right back. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. 
Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast yes welcome back everybody to in soccer we trust i'm jimmy conrad alongside hollywood heath pierce apparently mr charlie chuck wagon davies is in a chuck wagon and he's going across the country with the new england revolution when they play cincinnati he's i gotta say jimmy i i threw a joke in into the into our our, our uh in soccer we trust group chat that i didn't think that I've, i i figured that charlie was a big enough legend up there that he would decide what time the the, the private jet leaves you know but apparently <laughs> he doesn't have that kind of pull with uh oh, with, with, with bobby Kraft right now unbelievable you know i guess you got to win some MLS Cups. Maybe, you know, they got some Super Bowls. Oh, no, he's brought it up again. I've brought it again. Friday, Two, days in a row. Weekend, yeah. Two days in a row. And Chuck's not even here to defend himself or the Revs. I love you, Revolution fans, and everybody that is a part of that organization doing some good things in the Boston area. All right. So let's bring on – we've got a theme going on here today and in Soccer We Trust. Make sure you hit the like and subscribe button if you're watching on the YouTubes and hit subscribe on any podcast platform of your choice. Really appreciate that. But we have a theme going on today about having guests on that are smarter than us. Mm-hmm. We had Lori Lindsay on, and now we're going to have Professor been a theme Stephen since Bank he on. This thing. <laughs> I, I, well, that's really that's probably the truth. But Professor Bank has been following a lot of the stories, the legal stories, fall in and around the game in this country at all levels, but uh, very intimately with regard to the U.S. Women's National Team in equal pay. Let's bring him on now, Professor Bank. Professor Bank. Look at, I mean, he's, look at, I actually feel like we shouldn't joke around. It's, it's Professor <laughs> Stephen Bank here. And I feel like uh, I'm the kid in the back of the class that hasn't been paying attention until the very end. Professor Bank, thank you so much for joining us today. You're looking great. Th- thanks for having me. I-, I was just thinking maybe I should be looking for some old exams of yours to. Like, <laughs> you know what? You know what? I went to UCLA. I didn't graduate, but don't tell anybody out there. I want to make sure those kids. Well, go I hope he was a good student because he wasn't very good at soccer back then. Uh, he, found <laughs> his, he found it. He found his feet. But I found know. my feet, but it took me a while to get there. All right, Professor Banks. So we just talked with Lori Lindsay, fantastic guest, and and her, and her insight, uh, invaluable to to under really understand and get a 360 view of this deal. From your perspective, as someone who's been following this from a legal perspective for, for, for many years, 
how historic of a moment is this that we have this collective bargaining agreement with both the U.S. men's national team and women's national team working together? It's a big deal. I mean, there's no question. It's a huge accomplishment uh, on a number of levels. First of all, it's it's very difficult for two unions to get together to bargain with a single employer in any industry, right? So that's already, in, and, and unions that have unique and distinct uh, interests and different deals. So you had to take two different structures, you had to meld them into one, that's, that's challenging. Um, not to mention you have a whole bunch of lawyers in the room, which I can tell you is never easy, <laughs> right? So that's challenging. And then you had, you had you both the labor lawyers and the litigation lawyers, I mean, it was awful. I'm sure it was awful. I'm sure Cindy Cohen was, doesn't want to see a lawyer again. Uh, but uh, one of the reasons it's a big deal is it's always tough. The, the FIFA World Cup prize money was the biggest part. U.S. soccer has been offering equal, identical deals since last fall. Uh, so the women's national team had to get comfortable with not having guaranteed salaries. That's challenging. Uh, I think that they would not have been comfortable in part without Europe. Uh, really developing over the last few years and without NWSL coming up with a CBA of its own that that dramatically increased at least the minimum salaries. What but you had to get them comfortable. And then the men, you know, it's you can say what you want about you know the men's success over the last few years, but they, uh, um, at least in terms of potential, they gave up money, right? They, they potentially gave up money. Uh, so all the other deals around the world that have been proudly announced as equal pay deals, Australia being the first, but Ireland and, and Norway and Brazil and others, they're not really equal pay deals, they're equal percentage. So that means that whatever uh, whatever FIFA pays out, whether it's 4 million or 40 million, they're getting the 25 or 35 or 40% and that's it. Uh, and that's not equal money. And so this is a big deal to pool it. It's challenging because the, the World Cups are on different cycles. So it means you have to wait a couple of years. It means you have to define who's getting it, which is always a challenge for the women because the women had a pool that got guaranteed pay and the men didn't. So who, who's in the pool if you're waiting you know, two years to get the, the full money? So big challenge, a big success to get that. It's really, it's, I said to someone else, it's not a fake pay deal, equal pay deal. It's a, it's a real deal. Um, having said that, U.S. soccer got that way by giving giving away a lot of money, right? And that's often how you, you'd always solve, you know, you can always solve problems between two parties if you just give everybody more money, right? <laughs> Everybody's happy with a bigger pie. And the, the, um, the commercial revenue share, 50-50 of what starts as a 10% goes up to a 20%, do a 15% deal. That's, that's potentially a lot of money. You know, that's ticket, broadcast, sponsor, partner money. Um, I don't know how much money they're talking about, but I, I've got to imagine U.S. soccer uh, before committing to this deal and all the parties felt comfortable that there's either new sponsors coming in. But with the 2026 World Cup in the U.S., you've got to believe that's real money that is, you know, that they're going to bring new sponsors, new partners. So uh, that makes U.S. men's national team probably closer to whole. Um, and uh, so, you know, that's a way to get this deal done. But nevertheless, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's unique in the world. You know, obviously, when 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 U.S. Soccer announced that they'd be leaving Soccer United Marketing, there became this twenty five million dollar delta that needed to be made up that U.S. Soccer was going to bring in house. They obviously trust in their abilities to bring that twenty five million plus heading towards this twenty twenty six World Cup that's co hosted, obviously, with with uh, Mexico and Canada. 
Where do you think the risk lies in this deal? Is there any sort of fallout that a deal like this can happen? We know U.S. soccer isn't in the best shape financially. They've now given this significant deal. The men that you you mentioned potentially leaving something on the table, the women having to grow more comfortable with, with the fact that they don't have guaranteed salaries. Where is the risk in all of this and who does it fall on? Well, there's there's two ways to think about risk. There's obviously risk on the um, on the side of the players. You know, if the, it, 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 there's an upside risk, which I really don't think is a big deal. But there is to say it. The men's national team could win the World Cup, and they're giving away you know a share of a lot large uh, pot of money. Um, but frankly, if the men's world if the men's national team won the World Cup in the U.S. individually, they would all dramatically increase their earning power from endorsements and what have you, and they make up the money otherwise, or they or with with transfers, et cetera. So I'm not really worried about them. The men, if they won the World Cup, that you know that's that's a sort of a risk. Uh, for the women, the risk is guaranteed pays out, and NWSL looks good, but it's ten years old. It's just coming off a huge scandal filled um, period. They've got a um, new commissioner. Um, you know, if something happened to that league, giving up the guaranteed pa- salaries plus the guaranteed NWSL salaries they were paying, you know, that's a potential risk, right? So there is some risk on both sides that there, you know, there's some downside there. Um, there is risk for U.S. soccer. So here's the way I would um, put this in a larger context. Uh, Cindy Parlo Cohn won an election in March. But she was, uh, it was a contested election with Carlos Cadero. And you thought, how in the heck is Carlos Cadero back in the picture? He's back in the picture because the youth, uh, the youth of youth development organizations, the state associations in this country, were not comfortable with what uh, Cohn was doing or the attention she was giving to the organizations. There is a risk that the money that U.S. soccer is now promising to the national teams is not going to trickle down that the, they're going to have to take from money that would have gone to the youth development. And so there's a potential risk there. If, if as you said, Heath, if, if, if the replacement soccer United marketing going in-house bombs or somehow, you know, they just don't uh, have the spillover effect that they would think from the world cup, there's less money to, to, to um, spread around. And that's a potential problem. Now, now, professor bank, Cindy Cohn came out and said, there's no denying that the money that we have to pay our national team is money that's not reinvested in the game. And you, one of U.S. soccer's big mission, or the, their mission as a federation, is to support all levels and all facets of the game here in this country. She went on to say, and people can take that perspective, but the way I look at it is that our job is to try to figure out how all three groups, the women's national team, U.S. soccer, and the men's national team can work together to grow the pie so that everyone is benefiting. So I like that question from Heath a lot. Like, where's the downside? Where is the risk with regard to this? So I guess now this feels like a positive domino to fall. Now there's going to be, it seems like everybody had to sacrifice a little to get there. What does that mean now for the youth national teams? Or or does this allow us to now attack FIFA in a way like, hey, listen, look at the precedent we're setting here. Maybe does a couple of years have to pass to kind of prove the concept before other federations get involved or to start to really put pressure on FIFA? And then I guess the secondary question is, how does that impact our, our youth national teams and kind of just soccer overall in this country? Yeah, let, let me start with the first one. So I think there's actually two scenarios. Um, there's good news and there's bad news. Good news is this is a real template for federations around the world to implement this. Uh, it is um, there's going to be pressure a place, you know, the women's national teams of those countries are going to be able to say, hey, look, they did it in this country. Why can't we do it here? Um, and, and um, you know, there's going to be less ability 
for the leaders of those uh, federations to say, oh, that's not how we do it and point to other countries, right? They're going to be able to say, hey, U.S. does it this way. Downside, though, that's the upside. Downside is there's a risk that FIFA is going to say in response to pressure to make this equal, hey, you know, we just give the money to the Federation as a reward for the Federation's work. They can decide how they want to do it. In Europe, for example, they allocate a ton more money to development or or maybe more cynically, they allocate a ton more money to themselves, the federations, and a ton less to the players, right? In France got something like $400,000 per player when France won the 2018 World Cup. So where did the rest of the 40 million go? There's about 30 million left. Uh, where did the rest of that go? That went to, to France's federation, which presumably is using it for good things, hopefully, and not for corruption or what have you. But, you know, there's possibilities there. So, uh, so there is a risk that FIFA will be taken off the hook by this deal because they can say there is a template for doing this. We just give out the money. You guys figure out how you're allocating it. And this allows for countries that don't have women's national teams or don't consider women's national teams to be important to do it differently. I still think there's a huge amount of pressure on FIFA. I still don't get why FIFA hasn't figured out. Let me tell you, here's the solution. I know Jimmy's always looking for solutions. Here's, here's the solution. Right? <laughs> Appreciate you. And this is like so FIFA. I don't understand how they haven't done this. They said, absolutely, right? What do we pay? We're going to pay something like 50 million combined, you know, going forward in a World Cup prize money. So we're going to give everybody 20 million each, right? Women, men, 20 million each. And you say, wait a minute, you were supposed to give out 50 million. What happened to the other 10 million? We'll put that in a development fund, right? That we'll use, you know, sort of as we see fit. In other words, that's a slush fund, right? And that's totally FIFA. Lower the money to all the players and keep more money for themselves. I don't understand why they're not doing that. There's like no upside to them to have this massive distinction, except for the countries that don't have women's national teams, right? And and they're, you know, that's a, a that's already positioned FIFA staked out. They want to increase the number of, you know, national teams for the women. So, but that's that's the the there is a risk, I think, that the the that FIFA is taken off the hook by this deal. And just as as proof of that. Uh, I just read um, an article in an Australian newspaper last night that the uh, head of the, um, the Professional Footballers Association in Australia was saying, yeah, we see the U.S. deal, but we're not going for the U.S. deal. We have this equal percentage. We're going to push FIFA to change their allocation. Now, they kind of have to say that because they've got a deal that's in writing and it's not, you know, it's not up yet. And so they're not you know, they can't change the deal midstream, maybe. But but I still think there's going to be that kind of a view that like we don't want FIFA to feel like they're off the hook. And that's the, the worry that U.S. soccer has done. But but no, no uh, blame to U.S. soccer or the players because, you know, they had to cut the best deal they could with, the, you know, with what they had. Well, when I think about, you know, uh, what you said about France and 400,000, you know, you're talking about a, a significant group of players that are making significant amounts of money on, on the men's side that, like you said, the upside is on a transfer, it's on bonuses, it's on endorsement deals and all these things. And so perhaps that makes the most sense, knowing that this money is going into a developmental fund. When I think about CONCACAF, I think about outside U.S., Mexico, Canada, all of the developing soccer nations that need support and what $10 million, for example, could do if you put that into a slush fund versus what could $10 million do for the U.S.? Like, do we believe $10 million could be significant or would it just go to another sort of pitch building project uh, where we just throw up these little mini pitches all around the country that now lose programming until the next guy comes in and says, hey, let's put basketball hoops on these pitches because no one's using them for soccer type of thing. Do, do, do you think that there is a enough 
money to be placed aside to to have a significant impact uh, in in the U.S. Or do you think that first we've got to rise, you know, with this collective bargaining agreement where everyone's equal, and then we're going to get to a point where you can have it be more like the Francis of the world, where where you can put more money towards development versus towards the pockets of the players. Yeah, so I, I think you're talking about on the national team level, and I was talking at the international level with FIFA. Right. But on the national team level, U.S. soccer is unique compared to the rest of the world in that U.S. soccer is paying an enormous amount more to its national team players than in these, for example, the European countries, where, as you say, you know, in France, those guys are all making lots of money. And there's there's not really in England, they're making lots of money. I mean, there's not really a reason to pay them huge amounts in the U.S. It started because there was no national team professional opportunities. Right there. You know, when they started this, there's just no leagues. Um, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to come from the day that's like <laughs> NASL ends in my youth, you know, yeah. and then there's, you know, and well, we, we would get like, like you yeah. said, we'd get 16,000 if we beat Brazil, but Brazil right. would get 6,000 no matter who they played. Right. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And I remember specifically having a conversation with them. That was their deal. Like you come in, you get a daily stipend, you get your bonus. That is it. There's no sort of upside downside. It's sort of the, the contract that they negotiate. All those Brazilians are, are extremely wealthy and, and obviously Developing nations are very different um, in that context. Yeah. And I mean, even in Australia's deal, I mean, they're like 40% at low rounds and 50% of the, if they get high, if they get far in the World Cup. So they're, you know, we're talking about 80, 90% for the US is the amount they're giving out in World Cup prize money. So wow. the US is paying a huge amount out. So the question you have is, is how is that affecting the youth national teams here? What can we do with development? Um, I, I, I think that there is money to be made in and this is sort of a sad statement to be to be honest just having kids there's money to be made from the youth right now there's a lot more streaming opportunities for and people interested in watching youth national team games and there's interest in in you know it's just like nil for college athletes there's name image likeness rights now for young u.s stars so i think there's money to be made and there's ways to make this up uh, and U.S. has has a lot of commercial opportunities un, untapped in soccer. So with the right people in charge, and I'm not sure they're at U.S. soccer, to be perfectly honest with you, but, um, you know, they, they, they need to get them if they aren't there. Uh, they can make up this money. But um, right now, um, you know, they're not U.S. soccer is not spending on its youth national teams the way it probably needs to. It's not its first camp in two years for the youth yeah, national exactly. team. Exactly. I mean, ago. they don't have like a they don't have, you know, the coaches. They've just been hiring coaches back. They don't have regular coaches. They don't have regular goalkeeping coaching. Um, you know, there's been a lot of uh, um, upset about that. There's there's lots of ways in which scouting is underdeveloped in the U.S. It's so huge. Mm. How can you possibly cover the country with these sort of part-time scouts who get together just for an event and don't really, you know, scour the, the streets? So there's a lot to be done. But so there's ahead. money to be made. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. And money kind of makes the earth go round. With regard to, let's leave other national teams out of this. I kind of want to know if you think there's going to be a trickle-down effect or a legal precedent that's been set not necessarily with, let's say, MLS and NWSL working together moving forward. I don't see that in happening. But but is there some type of, you know, maybe some of the nuances and subtleties of this deal that could trickle down in a positive way? Maybe even to our youth national teams. It'd be really, I don't know. I don't know if there's any youth organizations out there that have unionized to make sure these, these younger players are protected. But is there something that we're going to see maybe that uh, could impact the game in a positive way based on this decision at, at a, let's say, a quote-unquote lower level? So 
I think there's sort of big picture and small detail ways in which the deal can be uh, uh, valuable. One on a big picture level, and this is outside of so not just in soccer. Um, this is sort of putting into action real equal pay. It puts pressure on other sports organizations to do something similar. Um, they don't have exactly the same legal status, though, because it's very rare to have two gender different teams with the same employer. Right. That's just what's unusual. Even when you, you take the, the Lakers and the Sparks here in Los Angeles, they're not actually owned by the same legal entity. And therefore, you can't make these kinds of arguments. But I do think that it's a precedent and it's a it's a um, it, it, it just puts into action this pressure that's already been on the political side. You know, lots of the organizations have been pushing this. Um, and I think there's going to be more of that on a very micro level. Um, you know, there's there's some things in the deal that might help U.S. fans and in an, in an interesting way, in a real positive way. So the men's and women's national teams are now going to be sharing in ticket revenue. And there's things like a sellout bonus for games. You know, U.S. soccer has been pricing and, and staging games in a way that is not to maximize attendance always. Right. There's there's some possibilities, but it's not really. You know, there's some games like friendlies, they'll do Mexico and the Rose Bowl in the U.S. And they know they're going to get mostly Mexican fans and fill it up. But, you know, in real strong games, they're putting them in sort of very cold places in, you know, northern part of the United States where people can get frostbite and stuff like that. And I'm not sure that's like the way to maximize you know, <laughs> attendance. Right. Um, if that produce and that's going to produce legal requirements for U.S. soccer, make a good at faith effort to price it properly to ensure sellouts and things like that. I think that actually is a real positive thing to increase access to games for both men and women and to market them appropriately and to, and to place them into places maybe that aren't normally getting games. So that might be a positive development. Um, and that that might produce I, I, I tend to think that the the women have been a lot more savvy than the men, men's side. I don't just mean the players. I mean, just generally the leaders about marketing lately. And if we can do more of that, we can grow the pie. And then there's just more money that you can give to all these different associations. But we've got kind of a mess in the youth side in U.S. soccer in U.S. It's like so many different organizations and they're splintered and there's a lot less leadership and nobody knows how to, you know, so much travel, so much uh, pay for play, you know, so if we can find a way to trickle that down, that'd be awesome. Um, but let's just be fair about it. Right now, what we're doing is committing a huge amount of resources to a very small sliver of the U.S. soccer ecosystem, you know, basically the top 18 players on the men's and women's side. Um, and hopefully, you know, hopefully that will produce kind of the um, the spillover effects like like. Uh, commercial uh, effects and 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 um, kind of development incentives, but it is they've got to find a way to backfill the rest of it. And and I think the pie is going to grow, and you, I think the World Cup's uh, you know a good start for that. But that's that's what we're dealing with right now I think, do, in the U.S. Do you think that that could be? I guess I have two two questions here, so I'll try to, to separate them. Do you think that that could be one of the downsides of the arguments uh, is from from U.S. soccer as a crutch to say, hey, you asked for this agreement. Now, when everybody's complaining about our youth national teams aren't getting looks, and granted, most of these players are now in professional academies and things like that, and so it's not U.S. soccer's responsibility necessarily. But we saw in the past when we had missed U-17 World Cups, missed U-20 World Cups, things like that. Do you think that could be 
an argument that people that starts to arise over time. And then the, the, the other question I have on that is the team does have a sellout bonus, right? Both teams have a sellout bonus. And a lot of the conversation that happens on Twitter, and granted, it's a small uh, population on there and it's a and it's a it's a vacuum are about the prices of matches, like accessibility to to, to the sport. Do you think uh, those two things, I, I guess, again, separately, do you think that that pr pricing thing could be a, a game that that U.S. soccer would be capable of playing in the future to say, oh, you're not a sellout bonus because, you know, we put it in this place and good faith is 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 all relative and unless you're in, I guess, in, in the courtroom arguing it. Yeah, I mean, on that latter point, so just as a just to provided sort of a very technical legal point. So you, the, one, the unions would have to agree, would have to file a grievance that says that, you know, U.S. soccer is not in good faith trying to sell out. They're like almost deliberately avoiding the sell bonus, which would be kind of crazy for U.S. soccer to do. Um, but you could say they're pricing it in a way that, you know, won't attract fans. Um, but it's really hard to win that, as you as you can imagine, because what is the right price that's going to, of course, if you charge a dollar a ticket, you know, you could fill it up. But that, you know, but that's not even good for the players because that 10% of a dollar a ticket it is not going to be worth anything to them. So, you know, so I, I don't think that's realistically there's going to be a huge push for it, but there's going to be kind of a um, the platform or the leverage by which the players can advocate for uh, tickets. Right. And, and right now they just play where they're told to play. But now you've got uh, uh, two union executive directors who at least have a, a lever by which they can say, what are you doing? You know, you're placing this in a place. They also have venue, by the way, condition requirements uh, where they also have leverage over the decision where to place things. And so now you've got two executive directors and two union leaderships who have a leverage to talk about where they host the games and what they charge for them. And that produces some access that we haven't had before. We've just had like the coach and and maybe the you know the leadership of the soccer operations who are making those decisions. So I think that's probably a positive thing. The players though are self interested and may not you know may not have the same interests as everybody else. You know the youth and all that. But that that I think that's a positive thing. I, I do think that it's a from a legal perspective, it is um, it's not going to be the document that's going to unlock some of this stuff. You know, I mean, that's, it's, it's a, it's an, a vehicle to do so. Um, but it is going to be the, um, the joint conversation between the men and the women is huge, right? So the, the fact that they are now on the same side, right? They have the same interests. No one's deal is going to be better than the other deal. They're locked together. Um, that is, um, that's, that's a big, a big improvement, I think, because really what U.S. soccer has been doing over the years is playing them off each other. We can't pay you more because we're paying them more or whatever. Now you have a sort of a uni unified bargaining front, and that's quite useful. Um, I do think U.S. soccer will play both sides of the game. They'll say we can't pay the youth more because we're paying the professionals. They'll say we can't uh, – you were not going to lobby FIFA for more because we're already doing this. You know, I mean, there's, there's a variety of ways in which they can do that. Um, you just got to hope that um, that won't occur. One of the – other legal aspects that has changed in recent years is uh, Congress passed a law that required um, more athlete participation on 
um, U.S. Olympic Committee recognized sports governing bodies. And so the Athletes Council in U.S. soccer is much more powerful. It has a bigger vote than the Youth Council, the Adult Council, the Professional Council. That's also a place where you're going to see more attention. We've already seen it in the most recent election. The athletes were getting more lobbying, um, they were, you know, more attention to their vote. So all those things are going to be positive. Uh, the question is, is, is who's going to be left out? And I, I still think that there's there are people potentially left out. Um, uh, and, you know, the question is, is whether the players can adequately be represented as a, such a huge population of players in this country, the adult amateur players, the youth players, and they probably can't. And so we'll need more of that, more input. From Professor, I can honestly say I got smarter today listening to you. So thank you so much. You're amazing at what you do. I can understand why you're a law professor at the best university in the nation, UCLA. My alumni, by the way, I won a national championship, everybody. That's my flex of the day. Professor Bank, make sure you drop him a follow, P-R-O-F, Prof Bank on Twitter. Excellent follow, so insightful as always. You are the man, the myth, and the legend, and we appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. All right, Professor Bank, everybody. What an absolute beast, Heath Pierce. What a smart guy. What a, like... You know, I, when you, I, you know you come what? across people be, and you, you just, oh. you just go like, I oh, gosh, man, I, I'm nothing. You know? I kind of want to be <laughs> professor bank when I grow up, to be honest. I, I, I do too. Gonna, whenever I decide to grow up, I want to be professor bank. That he guy listens. knows he's good. So good. Yeah. He's, he's on it. He's well, on the it. thing is it, there's two things to him, right? He's an educator. So he's got to be able to deliver a message, but he's also a lawyer. So he's got to be able to listen. And he listens so well that every word you say matters. And he could just like, you could talk for four minutes and he goes, let me break apart the seven things that you said and start from the beginning. And you're like, that's, I know, really that's, smart. that's so awesome. It's so awesome. Yeah. Uh, He's so, so good. But I thought this was a great episode. There was so much insight. We obviously got with Lori Lindsay, you know, that, that, that perspective from the inside looking out and what it felt like to go through all that. And obviously being able to celebrate with her with a proper, you know, the equality that they've been fighting for for so long. And then we really got into the, the trenches, I thought, with Professor Bank from more of a legal perspective. That was really uh, awesome. I thought we got we got a nice 360 view of this whole situation. And and honestly, I wasn't blowing smoke. I, I feel smarter today, and I feel like I have a, a nice understanding of what this means, and not only what it means at this particular moment, but what it means moving forward. Yeah, I tried to poke a lot of holes in this, uh, because normally you can, right? We, we you, you and I have talked about CBAs in the past. You and I have been part of... Uh, collective bargaining agreements. Both Dude, I was US on the Docker executive and, committee for yeah. the Players Association for MLS. If we want yeah. to have an episode on that. We can we can do that moving and, forward. And, but, and you get into it and, and you realize how many, it just the, it, it's it's obviously different between the club because you're talking about a population, many of which are coming in and then they're out, you know, and, and don't necessarily care about the growth of the league and what it means for the next generation. So there's a lot more nuance and complications and multiple languages and all that stuff at the club level. But this was just one where I'm like, there's got to be something. There's got to be some some downside. There has to be some sort of risk. There has to be a like it's the it's the whole like anything that sounds too good to be true has to be right. And and it just well, doesn't sound like it. It just sounded like there the was sacrifice that, though from from everybody. There is sacrifice, but that's that's to the benefit of of the game the now. Greater good, Again, though, right? Yeah, yeah, it's for it's for the greater good, which is usually where these things clash heads. He talked about it where two labor unions coming together is really hard just because they're coming from two different. Uh, positions and they're negotiating with the same sort of governing body. And, and so the fact that they came together on that and were able to, and the fact that we're talking about, you know, I remember talking to people at us soccer where they said, number one, fix the lawsuit. Number two, uh, new CBA, number three, rebuild our, our, our reputation with, with, with the fan base. Those were the three priorities going back a couple of years ago. And we're talking now, just now getting through the lawsuit 
And now we're talking about getting through the, the CBA. It takes a lot of time. And the fact that the evolution of the women of having to get comfortable with the fact that like, hey, one in the hand versus two in the bush type of thing. And the, the men having to potentially leave money on the table if they're betting on themselves. I think all of that together, you go, man, that's so much more powerful than the dollars and cents and what it means for the growth of the game. I, I love what you said. And what I'll, when I'm listening to you, what I'm thinking is it just felt really mature. It, it like usually in these types of things, we even see it in the highest level of politics in this country in particular. There's a lot of immaturity going around, right? A lot of ego, a lot of pride, a lot of stubbornness. And this one just like, let's get all that out of there and let's figure out the best thing for all of us moving forward. And, and uh, it's really refreshing well, and it's inspiring. And uh, long may that continue. I hope yeah. that that theme continues because as we discussed with Professor Bank in particular, the youth national team stuff, our infrastructure underneath these two top teams needs to develop as well. And that's not that that's our Paralympic team. That's our, our deaf national team. That's uh, I mean, we have a whole bunch of our beach soccer teams like all mm -hmm. that needs love and intention and care as well. We have some really talented and incredible human beings that are participating on these these teams as well. Yeah. The, the other thing that I found interesting, which was this idea that like all players called in would to divide that amount equally. And I, I've told this story on on our show before. I remember it just to show how how it seems easy that you just pull two people together. We in the national team, there was a period of a month or two months, two camps where there was this thing that had happened forever, which was if you're not in the 18, right? You nego we negotiated based on 18 bonuses, right? Mm -hmm. Players in the 18. Sometimes you got mm -hmm. 24 players in camp. And the idea was that, well, if everybody just took X percent less then all 24 players would get the same amount, right? As opposed right. to being what was in the contract was, $500 for the players and then the game bonus for uh, for the players that were in the 18. And I remember there was a couple of camps that uh, that was not the case. And I remember talking specifically to Carlos Bocanegra who was saying, yeah, but these play everybody should be competing. And he was very for separating those. And Frankie Hayda came in and was like, no, that's not what this is about. That's not the national I team. I was there. And I remember I it being a big deal. And I remember it also being, I was in one of those two games, not in the bench, uh, not on the bench. And or or in the 18. And I remember thinking, like, I'm going through all of this. We're all together. And now I'm away from my club. I'm sacrificing. I'm all these things. But I'm getting this small little thing of just being there. I was I there. Polarized. Uh, they they brought me into the conversation. Yeah. Frankie's like, and, and like, go get Jimmy. And we got in the <laughs> lobby. So it was the lobby. We were in uh, Slovakia. I thought it was yeah. a Slovakia. Yeah, Slovakia and Denmark. Denmark. Yep. We exactly. were in Bratislava, dude. We were in Bratislava in the hotel lobby. And I went, somebody called me, like, Go get Jimmy. So they got me. I don't know why I was designated. Maybe they were canvassing a couple people for this, but I go over there and it's heated. You got Boca Negra on one side and Frankie Hayduk on the other. And like, what's going on, boys? You know, and then it unlocked exactly the story that you're telling. And, and it was tough because I leaned more on your side, Heath Pierce, with regard to and Frankie's side, which was I understand that you're trying to build a competitiveness within the team and you want people to push to try to get that bonus, but we're all sacrificing the same thing. But for, you're there. It, it, I agree. You're there for three days. I you want to come in on a Sunday and play on a, on, on a, on a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Friday, like you're training, you maybe got one intense session. It, it has so little to do, but the, the, the point of the story is, and by the way, it did end with the players all dividing it equally, which I think is really important. I actually think that, that I, I wonder if that came from Carlos. Carlos was the captain, right? Of, of Bob Bradley. I, I always wondered if that came from Carlos or if that actually came from Bob and Bob and, and Carlos was his conduit, but that's a podcast I mean, for another time. Yeah. Uh, but, but the, the, the point of that being that it seems really easy to think that a bunch of these people from different walks of life on the men's team, could agree on a CBA, let alone bringing uh, two unions together, all of which you've got 
Megan Rapino, big time earner at the very top, and you've got Ashley Sanchez trying to break her way into the national team at 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 uh, sort of the, the not the bottom, but like say the, the the newest of that group. And then you're bringing all of that who have their all needs priorities where they're at in their career, knowing that the next generation is going to get something you didn't. And there's all these egos that play into it, and to bring those two things together and put all of that aside for mature. something that's usually beneficial is mature, like you said, and it's an, it's an incredible thing. It is incredible, and we're going to end the show on that positive feeling. That is In Soccer We Trust for today. We appreciate your support as always, but I do have to add very quickly that we might have an emergency podcast. So turn on your notifications for your podcast platform, for your YouTube channel, whatever. Hit the notification button because apparently the roster might be dropping today for these June games for the U.S. Men's National Team, and we want to be here right on top of it with you guys talking about all the names that got called in. So make sure you make that happen. Now, on behalf of our amazing guests, Lori Lindsay, Professor Stephen Bank, and producer Alex, and Des, and I guess Chuck Wagon, too, even though he wasn't here, and, of course, Hollywood Heath Pierce. I'm Jimmy Conrad saying thank you for listening to In Soccer We Trust, and we'll see you a little bit later. Thanks! Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.